It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. I'm Emily Campagno, and this is the Fox True Crime Podcast. episode, we spoke to retired FBI Special Agent Kyle Voinkel to discuss how he used his experience on both the hostage rescue team and the crisis negotiation unit to resolve the 2013 Alabama bunker hostage crisis. If you haven't listened to that episode yet, go and listen to this incredible story told by Kyle himself, or you can watch the conversation on YouTube. Only months after working on this case, Kyle was involved in yet another high-profile crisis. In April of 2013, Kyle would once again work with the Crisis Negotiation Unit in order to secure the peaceful surrender of Joker Sharnayev, one of the two Boston Marathon bombers. Kyle's background is fascinating. And today, in our bonus episode of the Fox True Crime Podcast, we look at his illustrious career in law enforcement and the high-stakes negotiation with one of the Boston Marathon terrorists. Kyle, thank you for joining us again. Before we get into the other cases you've worked on, tell us a little bit about yourself. So I grew up in San Diego, a very patriotic town. My father was a Navy officer in Vietnam. And so service to country kind of ran through, definitely ran through my family's blood. My brother and I both went to West Point. I went and visited him when he was a freshman. And I thought, that's a cool place to go. So I applied and somehow slipped through the <laughs> slipped through the cracks and was accepted. Uh, and I graduated in West Point in 1993. Then I spent five years in the Army. I was an officer most of the time in 1st Cavalry Division in Fort Hood, Texas. And while I was in the Army, I'd applied for the FBI and I got accepted in uh, 1998 and went to new agents training. And my first office was Los Angeles. So I sent, spent six years working counterintelligence matters in Los Angeles. I really enjoyed that kind of the mental long-term mental chess game. We play with our, our adversaries and not play, but engage with our adversaries. And I was on their Los Angeles SWAT team there, which I really enjoyed. And that introduced me to the tactical realm of the FBI. And in the field, you're an agent and also a SWAT team member. So you kind of juggle both. And I was interested in being a full-time uh, SWAT operator the only option is the FBI hostage rescue team. So actually I tried out and the first time I was not selected, it's an incredibly demanding, rigorous, uh, two week kind of hellacious selection process. There's any questions or any doubt or any performance uh, you know, issues, they'll say thank you and they'll invite you back if they want to give you a second chance or you won't get an invite back. Uh, so thankfully I got an invite back. I came back a second time, went through uh, that two week you know, meat grinder and then was chosen and selected. And I spent eight years uh, as an operator, uh, deployed on many kind of significant cases because HRT being a national level asset would have those highest risk missions that the US government would have that needed a law enforcement entity. As HRT, just to give you a background, was created back in 1983 as a civilian equivalent 
to the U.S. military special mission mm-hmm. units uh, so that for the Olympics, the DOJ and U.S. government would have a full-time counterterrorism team capable of handling like another Munich on a horrible incident if something happened in the Olympics. So President Reagan created in 83 and enjoyed those eight years tremendously and then transferred to the negotiation unit. Uh, my wife was quite happy then because it was not nearly as risky. <laughs> uh, and then spent three and a half years on the crisis negotiation unit. And I was a year into it uh, when Midland City transpired. Uh, after that time, I went to FBI headquarters, spent uh, two and a half years there as a unit chief in the counterintelligence, and then went to the Washington field office. I was a squad supervisor there. And then I finished up my 24 years in the FBI as an assistant special agent in charge of the Miami field office, which filled with fantastic people, really enjoyed that work down there as well. So my three homes really were, you know, L.A., D.C., and Miami, and I couldn't uh, be happier to work with some incredible colleagues and uh, all the partners out there, you know, from state, local, and federal that we collectively work together to do good and protect and serve the American people. An impressive career is the understatement of the century. Thank you for your service, Kyle. Um, I know you don't see yourself as a hero, but we see you as exactly that. And I love that you are passing that on. You and I are both Navy brats, and your sons are also at West Point, right? So you must be add proud dad to that uh, list of accomplishments. (laughs) Oh, I I couldn't be prouder. Uh, It's fascinating. Uh, And we have a you know, great family legacy of service, right? With my dad in the Navy and then my brother, West Point, and me at West Point. And then both of my oldest boys are currently cadets at the United States Military Academy. Uh, I can't believe they're both far better students uh, and cadets than I ever was. Uh, they're just doing uh, great. So I actually was invited a couple times back to West Point. Uh, I spoke at their, they have a capstone leadership development course. So I went back there and spoke about leadership and I, I shared this Dothan's story. So it's great to have my two cadet sons in the audience, right? Because normally they listen to me for five <laughs> minutes, but there they had to listen to me for a whole There they had to listen to me for a whole hour. I'm sure just as much as you are a proud dad, they are proud sons. There's no doubt in my mind about that. We're going to take a quick break. More from our guest after this. I'm Charles Payne. Listen to my Unstoppable Prosperity podcast so I can get you making money right now. Whether stocks are hitting new all-time highs or in freefall mode, opportunities abound. So why are so many potential investors still sitting on the sidelines? In a new season of my podcast, I'm going to get you in the game. After 38 years on Wall Street, I'm ready to impart some lessons and get you invested in the greatest wealth-generating machine in history. Listen anytime, everywhere at foxbusinesspodcast.com or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. Kyle, share with us some of the other fascinating cases you've worked on. I was fortunate enough to serve on two national-level Department of Justice assets, uh, first being the FBI hostage rescue team, uh, which has an equivalent Tier 1 capability to the military special mission units. And in that capacity, I, you know, we would use, if necessary, lethal force to save lives or the threat of lethal force to bend others to our will. And after eight years there on HRT, I went to the crisis negotiation unit where we used words as our weapons. We would try to persuade and bend others to our will just by us listening to them and us trying to influence them. So we would use the 
negotiator skills of building rapport, demonstrating empathy, eliciting information, engaging in conversations to build up the relationship enough to potentially influence their behavior to a peaceful resolution. And I've been fortunate in those, you know, over a decade of service in the, the tactical section of the FBI to travel all over the world and work with the most high-performing teams and units that exist, from, again, the two U.S. military special mission units to the British Special Air Service, the German GSG-9, the Australian mm -hmm. Special Boat Service, again, the best counterterrorism teams the world over I've been lucky enough to train with and work with and deployed with the U.S. military to Iraq and Afghanistan on multiple deployments, uh, seeing the very finest of Americans, men and women. And in the Midland City, Alabama incident, I was able to be a bridge to connect the tactical world with the negotiation world, because they do think differently, they have different perspectives on it. They're both incredibly capable, powerful units. And it's interesting, each, we don't talk about as much, but each trains and practices so much their skill set that each almost wants to use those in the resolution of the crisis, right? Because that's what they train and rehearse and do every day. So I've seen it from both sides, that subtle influence to use one tool or the other, but it's best when they work in concert and in tandem supporting one another. So only three or four months after Dothan, Alabama, and that incredible, really the most, one of the most heroic and dramatic hostage rescue missions in the history of the FBI, HRT was again called upon by this nation to respond to the Boston Marathon bombing. And I was deployed as the lead FBI CNU negotiator to Boston. On uh, day four, another FBI aircraft was deployed, sent up to respond to Boston. And the brothers, if you recall, terrorized the city for four or five days, had lethal confrontations with law enforcement, hurling IEDs, killing MIT police officer Sean Collier, as well as the four others, and injuring hundreds at the finish line of Boston Marathon bombing. And no one thought a negotiated resolution was possible. Everyone thought it would end in a lethal confrontation with the two brothers. However, in CNU, we prepare for that, even the remotest of possibilities, right? So in Boston, I saw one person speaking positively about the Boston Marathon bomber. Everyone else, his own family, his uncle, his relatives, spoke negatively on the Boston bomber. But I saw his wrestling coach from high school, a man named Peter Payak, was interviewed on CNN, and he said he was a good kid. He said another couple positive things. And we look in law enforcement for potential third-party intermediaries. We refer to them as TPIs. We look for TPIs who have a pre-existing relationship with an individual that we could maybe use to law enforcement's advantage to help broker maybe a peaceful resolution or a settlement. And in Midland City, you saw that we use Cindy Dykes as the TPI. She was our the daughter of Dykes, who obviously had a very strong bond with the father. We were hopeful 
that she might, of anyone in the world, his own daughter may be able to influence Dykes to peacefully surrender or to at least release Ethan. So on our quest and search for TPIs, I saw the wrestling coach on CNN. CNN. I called him and uh, it took me actually a while, believe it or not, to find his number. <laughs> uh, in the middle of a crisis, right, there's a lot going on. And again, negotiators was not the priority. Uh, priority was just finding them. Uh, and I talked on the phone around an hour, and he gave me some fantastic details and tidbits mm. about the younger brother. And lo and behold, on night four or early morning, day five, they have the competition in Watertown and shoot it out with police. And actually the older brother is detained. The younger brother gets in a vehicle and drives out and actually strikes and hits his brother. Then he ditches the car and flees on foot. But now we know, law enforcement knows that he's in Watertown. And actually the governor issued a shelter in place order. Think about that. The government is telling you not to leave your house. The whole city, actually the whole nation, if you recall, was on edge for what really two people, two determined terrorists shut down almost the northeast part of the United States by their horrible actions. And he was found in a boat. Uh, David Hennenberry uh, looks in his backyard. Actually, the shelter in place order is lift, lifted about 6 p.m. on uh, Friday evening. He wanders in his backyard, sees some blood smear on the outside of his boat. And then he lifts up the tarp because his tarp was ripped and he sees a form or a, what he th thinks is a body in his boat. He calls 911 and police flock to the scene. Uh, I was at the Arsenal Mall. That was the staging area for law enforcement. And I've been in a lot of circuses in my life. And I, I, <laughs> I've been a clown myself, seen a lot of clowns with it. Man, there was a lot of, a lot of clowns at, at that circus because we had every department imaginable, right? FBI, Massachusetts State Police, Boston PD is in Watertown, even though it's right not Boston. They're, they don't have jurisdiction in Watertown, uh, but they were there, DEA, every federal agency you can think of. And everybody right, wants to help, but, you know, it's actually too many cast of characters as evidenced by what happened. So like 400 law enforcement officers respond. There's no really single unified command and control initially. And they surround the boat and they launch rounds at the boat. They think they see movement. They think they perceive a threat. And he is shot at hundreds of times. Uh, I actually, I'm at the mall. I hear the gunfire and I think, oh, actually good. That's, you know, maybe it's resolved. Maybe it's all over and they, they found him. However, I see a, one of my HRT colleagues uh, running to the HRT operator group. And I know that they just received a mission, right, by the, his, him running. So I, I went over there myself. They said, hey, he's found in a boat. We're going to go get him. Uh, and then I, I was the one that said, hey, why don't you take, uh, you know, negotiators should go with you. Uh, we should be there just in case. And had, not, had I not said that, I firmly believe we would not have been included in the plan. So, again, just kind of being at the right spot at the right time and recognizing the potential use of negotiators, right, I was able to kind of insert uh, us into that role. So we followed them, HRT, out. They responded to that boat location. And the team leader did a fantastic job. 
He actually instilled some order into that chaos, uh, like took overall command and, you know, set a perimeter uh, up and just did a, did a wonderful job. He's, you see the movie, uh, the Mark Wahlberg movie, I forget the name, but they did an okay job representing that <laughs> chaotic scene. Uh, <laughs> and they deployed some flashbangs in those non-lethal concussion devices into the boat mm-hmm. and massive noise and light and flashes, and there's no response from the bomber. And then that's when the FBI director said, let's try to negotiate. I looked around. I'm the only FBI negotiator on scene, right? I'm the lead. So the team leader goes, Kyle, you're up. And then I began the, you know, incredible kind of delicate dance of trying to communicate with the Boston Marathon bomber and establish communications with a person that had responded, who had already been shot at, right? He'd been commanded to get out, and they'd throw flashbangs at him. So it was like a decreased use of force continuum. Normally, you go up the level of force. This one, we were going down to the very bottom, and I was going to have to try to start, after he'd been shot at, to talk to him. And that is the beginning of the negotiation with the Boston Marathon bomber, a terrorist on U.S. soil. The beginning of the successful negotiation, yeah. which for yeah. which we have you to thank, Kyle Vowinkle, an amazing first chapter to what will be an incredible story of you um, single-handedly negotiating with one of the two terrorists who orchestrated the Boston Marathon bombing. Thank you so much for joining us today, Kyle. We cannot wait to have you back in the interim again. Thank you for your service and thank you for sharing your time with us today. Thank you. I must say it was a collective team effort. There were uh, others there uh, with me as well. So I I cannot take uh, all the credit. I want to recognize that in every one of these crises, it is law enforcement coming together, working collectively uh, to the successful outcome and resolution. So it's really a team of teams I was just fortunate to be part of. That's why we call you humble hero. <laughs> but yes, absolutely. And our gratitude and acknowledgement, of course, extends to all of those brave men and women who make up these impressive and incredible teams of which you are a part. Thank you, Kyle, so much for sharing your story today. Um, again, we thank you for your service, for the high caliber of that service. And it's fitting that you were uh, the recipient of the highest award the DOJ has to offer. And we offer our sincerest gratitude for your time today and for your protection of Americans just like us. Thank you. Listen ad-free with a Fox News Podcast Plus subscription on Apple Podcasts and Amazon Prime members can listen to this show ad-free on the Amazon Music app. This is Jimmy Fallon, inviting you to join me for Fox Across America, where we'll discuss every single one of the Democrats' dumb ideas. Just kidding. It's only a three-hour show. Listen live at noon Eastern or get the podcast at foxacrossamerica.com.